7 to 24. Uh, following from last week when uh, Paul asked, did God reject Israel? By no means. Today he starts with a different question. Romans 11, 11. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for, their, for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root. The root supports you. You will say then, Branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were crafted in to a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Leon. Uh, how wonderful to celebrate together today. It's a joy uh, to be together and to have Elliot's family and friends with us as well. Um, we're so glad that you can join us here at St. Jude's in Parkville to, to celebrate this sign of the, the beginning of Elliot's Christian life. Uh, for the next half hour or so, we're going to reflect on the Bible passage that we heard read, how it might connect to our life today. And I want to begin by telling you a story from the beginning of, of my Christian life. And to do that, I need to tell you about Daniel. Uh, Daniel is my oldest friend in Melbourne. Uh, we met in grade two when I moved here, and our parents introduced us because we were both uh, standing there lining up ready for school with big milk moustaches, uh, as you do in grade two. Uh, through primary school, we were in the same class together. We played footy and cricket together. Uh, we did basically everything together. We were best friends, and we went to the same high school. In year 10, my life changed dramatically. God was really kind to me. He helped me see who Jesus is 
and how his death and resurrection could uh, transform me, give me a new identity. And that's what happened. I suddenly had this great conviction that God loved me deeply and I wanted to help others to know this life-changing love from God as well. But something else happened too. And it was more insidious. It crept in secretly under the cover of my new faith. Uh, So insidious that I didn't realise it until uh, Daniel confronted me. We're sitting in maths class. I'm in my own world, as I sometimes was, not really paying attention to whatever he and my other friends were up to. And he says to me, Mike, stop being so aloof. What do you mean? I don't think I really knew what aloof meant. (laughs) He said, you're being arrogant. You're always off in your own world. You think you're better than the rest of us ever since you started going to church. That stung. It prompted a lot of soul-searching. Had becoming a Christian made me more arrogant? As you can probably tell, it's a question that has stuck with me since then. And as I've thought about it over the years, I've realised that, well, if I have become more arrogant as a Christian, at least I'm in good company. I'm certainly not the only one. Uh, The Centre for Public Christianity put out a documentary a couple of years back, you might have seen it, called For the Love of God. Uh, I think we've got a a picture of this. Uh, They examine how often through history Christians have been arrogant and judgmental, especially towards others who don't share our faith. Uh, They look at the Crusades, the Inquisitions, complicity with Nazism, the oppression of women, colonialism, slavery. How often through church history the church's arrogance and violence has been more like uh, nails down a blackboard rather than the, the symphony that Jesus wrote for us to play. Sadly, arrogance has been an occupational hazard for Christians since the earliest days. And we can tell this from our passage today. We can tell that it had infected the Christian community in Rome around 50 or 60 AD as well. Our reading today is a letter written by Paul, an apostle of Christ, to the fledgling Christian community in Rome, probably in the late 50s AD. This Christian community there has two distinct groups within it. Some are Jews, descendants of Abraham, God's chosen people whom he loves, and they've been waiting for generations for God's promised saviour to come. And then when Jesus does come, they recognise him, they follow him, unlike many of the other Jews at the time. And so they're the Jewish Christians in Rome, part of this church. But then on the other hand, there are some Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles just means other nations, people who weren't ethnically Jewish. And they might be from Italy or Greece or other parts of the Mediterranean world. Uh, They're probably pagan by religious background. But when they hear the gospel... The same good news that transformed my life. How Jesus' death and resurrection offer forgiveness for sin, all our selfishness. How his death and resurrection reconcile us with the one true God. They abandon their idols and they devote themselves to the one true God. They're the the Gentile Christians. And even though Jesus himself was Jewish, the Gentile Christians are an increasing majority in this church in Rome. And Paul senses that they're getting a bit uppity. 
He's just been explaining how come most of the Jewish people of his day have not recognised the Messiah and followed Jesus. That's been the last uh, chapter or two that we've been looking at in Romans. It's not because God has rejected the people whom he loves, but it's because they've been on the wrong track. They've been trying to please God by what they can do rather than by trusting in Christ. You can imagine how easily a Gentile Christian then would feel superior. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those obstinate Jews because I know that trusting in Christ is what's most important. I know I don't need to do works to strive for your approval. I'm sure you can see the connection as well with how I might have been treating Daniel. Thank you, God, for loving me and transforming my life. If only Daniel were as spiritually enlightened as me. Friends, does this sound familiar? What do you lean on to assure yourself that you're on the right track? What gives you confidence that you're a good person? Is it that you're compassionate? Your faith is not fundamental or you're you're better educated than that? Maybe you're better than your colleagues at work or your friends at at school or at uni, because you're living God's way, but they're not. Maybe you're better than other Christians because you go to a good church that follows the Bible. If some of this resonates, then join the club. I love to feel superior. Uh, But unfortunately, our arrogance has no basis in reality. Our arrogance has no basis in reality, and that was true for the Gentile Christians in the first century in Rome as well. Their arrogance had no basis in reality. Why is that? Well, firstly, Paul says to them, it's because Israel is not lost. It was there at the start of our passage in in verse 11. I think we've got it on the screen. Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? No, not at all, is the answer. Yes, the people of Israel, by and large, missed Christ. Yes, they're currently alienated from God. Yes, they have a history of rebelling against God like the rest of us. Paul's just talked about all of this. But are they lost beyond recovery? By no means. This is another one of those hairpin bends in Romans we were talking about last week, a surprising turn of logic that takes us higher up like a mountain track, giving us a better view, a greater view of God's overall purposes, but surprising nonetheless. In our arrogance, we can assume that people who don't know God are somehow outside his plans. But it's not the case. God is not finished with Israel, he says, because he has a better plan. God is using their rejection for a better plan. Uh, You can see this uh, in the second half of that verse 11. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. This is God's better plan. Let me give you an example of how this works in practice. Uh, Paul travels to Corinth, an ancient Greek city, full of Gentiles, but some Jews there as well. Uh, They haven't heard about Jesus before in Corinth, so Paul begins by going to the synagogue. And he tries to persuade the Jews there that Jesus is for them, he's their Messiah. 
but after a time they become abusive to him, we're told, and so he leaves. And instead he testifies to Gentiles, to non-Jews. And as he does so, some Gentiles believe in the Lord Jesus and are baptised, but so too are some Jews from the synagogue who have followed him as well. You can read this story in Acts chapter 18. In fact, it's repeated over and over in early Christian mission. The gospel goes to the Jews, some accept it, but many reject it, and then it goes to the Gentiles. You can see God at work, making sure that this news of redemption for the whole world is not just for Jews, but for people of all nations. And now we hear there's another stage in this better plan of God's. After Israel's rejection and salvation for Gentiles, there's Israel's envy. And we see this in Acts as well. The early Christians care for lots of widows. So they organise an equitable way to feed and care for these vulnerable women. And as they do so, a large number of Jewish priests come to follow Jesus. Perhaps they see the Christian church as the fulfilment of what God had always intended for his people. The Old Testament commands Jews to care for widows and orphans and other vulnerable people. Now they see Christians doing this, embodying this beautiful vision of God's care for the marginalised, playing Jesus' symphony as they follow Christ. So part of God's good plan for the world is to include more from Israel. He hasn't given up on them. The Gentiles in Rome shouldn't give up on them. And nor should we. Instead of being arrogant towards Jews and treating them as outsiders, as Christians particularly in Europe have done through history, we can be hopeful about the future of Israel. I'm not talking particularly about the political nation today, I'm aware of the the renewed conflict and the the good news of a ceasefire in the last couple of days and we can certainly be praying for peace in Israel and Palestine, that's for sure. But I'm talking about having hope because people of Jewish faith are still called by God. He hasn't abandoned them and so nor should we. God still has a better plan for his Jewish people and that's the first reason for not being arrogant. God, God has a better plan. And here's the second reason. Because we're like an olive tree. Have a look at verse 17 with me. Did you pick this up when it was read? If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. What's all this about uh, branches and olive shoots? Uh, Perhaps the eagle-eyed amongst you will spot a good metaphor in there. Uh, I love a good metaphor. I was once given a a book with the title, I Never Metaphor I Didn't Like. Right? Yeah. That's good. (laughs) Um, But we've got to have our wits about us when we come across a metaphor in the Bible. We need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Uh, Why is this metaphor being used? And what is the connection that's being made? If I say, uh, you're a galah... What's my point? Am I trying to say you have pink and grey feathers? Right? Probably not. But perhaps I am trying to say you're noisy and foolish like a galah. A bit, bit rough on the galah, isn't it? Um, 
So you can see it's like a Venn diagram, and my thanks to the uh, ventriloquist for this piece of work. <laughs> okay, so we're looking for what's that overlap there. So what's the connection between God's people and olive trees? How is God's family like an olive tree? Olive trees have green leaves, but I don't think that's the connection, even though we, we do like green leaves here in Parkville. Uh, so you can see on the diagram there, I think there's three connections there, three overlaps. The first similarity is grafting. Uh, I thought I'd bring in our olive tree for this. And some branches that I cut off a wild olive tree growing in our street, which actually has some olives on it, unlike ours. Uh, this is still a very young uh, olive tree. It's only got two branches, so I'm not going to be breaking any off, unfortunately, <laughs> today. Um, but Paul says that God has broken off some branches from his olive tree, and he's grafted in some new ones. He's grafted them in. This is a, a common practice in horticulture, even in the ancient world. Uh, you could break off branches, and then on the exposed sap, you can bind in new branches, and they would grow together. So in that way, you could actually combine a strong rootstock that was good at extracting the nutrients from the ground uh, with fruit, fruiting and fruitful branches. So God has cultivated Israel as his people for centuries. But when Christ comes, he, he broke off the unfruitful branches and now he's grafting in Gentiles, these wild branches, Paul calls them to join his people. Today, as we baptise Elliot, it's like he's been grafted into God's people, now part of God's olive tree. Welcome to the olive tree, Elliot. And once you're part of the olive tree, whether because you're a natural branch or because you've been grafted in, you get the benefit from the nourishing sap from the roots. And this is the second point there. The branches are supported by the roots. The branches rely on that nourishing sap, water and nutrients collected by the roots and fed up through the sap. And so too, we Christians, whether we're Jews or Gentiles by background, we rely on our roots. The, the promises that God has made to Israel to bless us and forgive us and love us, all fulfilled in Christ. That means we're not independent if we try to do the Christian life on our own, disconnected from the rest of God's people, we're going to wither and die. If you come and look at this branch in a couple of days, unless I do actually graft it in, it's not going to be a pretty sight. Branches can't support themselves. We need to be part of the olive tree. We need to gather with other Christians. We need to listen to God's word together and pray for one another, serve one another. We need the nourishing sap of the root. Otherwise, we wither and die. And then the third similarity that, that Paul's getting at here is that both God's people and the olive tree are under the care of a gardener. We have a gardener looking after us. God can break branches off his tree and he can graft in new branches. He's the, the, garden, the gardener pruning and cultivating his people, helping us to grow as he intends. 
So those are the, the points of connection here, I think. We're, we're grafted together like an olive tree. We're supported by the roots. We've got a gardener caring for us. Well, that's, that's cool. We're like an olive tree. But uh, what does that mean? Does that mean that us grafted branches like Elliot and me, are we better than others? Maybe we are because other branches were broken off so we could be grafted in. Maybe we're more fruitful than other branches. Maybe God was looking for good people and he found Elliot and grafted Elliot in. Because um, I'm sure Elliot has never done anything wrong, Rachel and John. <laughs> as much as we might like to think that, we've got to think again. That's not why the gardener has grafted us in. Again, our passage says, look at verse 19 and 20. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. What makes the difference between the branches that are broken off and those that are grafted in? It's not being a better person. It's faith. They were broken off because of unbelief, because they didn't trust the Lord Jesus. But you stand by faith. You have a place in the tree only through faith in Christ. How incredible, friends. Do you realize this means you can be blessed by God even if your life is a mess? Even if you've done awful things that you're ashamed of before God. And on the other hand, you might be a good person but you might be excluded from the blessings of God. This is really important to think about where you are in this picture. Have you been grafted in by trusting your life to Jesus? Or are you broken off and in danger of withering because you're not connected to the life-giving sap? If that's you, don't let this opportunity slip today. You can come and chat to me after the service. We have people up here that would love to pray for you after the service as well. Let's talk about what it would mean for you to, to trust Christ and to be grafted in to his people. And friends, if you are grafted in already, then we need to heed God's, word, God's warning. It's in verse 20. It was just on the screen. You can have it up again. You stand by faith. So do not be arrogant, but tremble. God has been so kind to us. He's grafted us into his life-giving olive tree. We, we must not presume on his kindness. We, we can't take it for granted or be arrogant about it. We can't take credit for it. The, the credit is all his. Rather, we should tremble, it says. We should stand in awe before God. He's both kind and stern, more kind than we could ever imagine, but also stern if we take him for granted. God's kindness is deep and powerful. He can graft in anyone he wants. He can graft in anyone he wants by calling them to faith in Christ. That means there is no one we are superior to because there is no one who is beyond God's kindness. And on the other hand, we mustn't presume to take 
Uh, We mustn't presume on God's kindness or take it for granted. If we're arrogant about it, if we don't continue in his kindness, if we abandon our faith in Christ and reject his saviour, Paul says he can prune his olive tree and leave us to wither. It's It's a stark reality, friends. I told you at the start how my friend uh, Daniel challenged me and how much that stung me at the time. I was quite hurt. And yet, as I look back, I'm actually very thankful for that moment in a strange way. Early on in my Christian life, there was certainly some, some truth to that. And without that warning early on, I might have continued unawares on that path of arrogance and come under God's sternness. So in a strange way, that was God's kindness to me. But I'm also thankful because uh, when I'm arrogant, I'm not playing the Jesus tune. In my aloofness, I was scraping my nails down that blackboard. I keep doing that, though hopefully less than before. Hopefully I'm a little more aware of it now. Because now I see Daniel differently. I'm not fundamentally any better than him. Yes, God's kindness has reached me. It can just as easily reach him. So I hold on to hope for Daniel. Because if God can graft me in, he can graft you in, he can graft Daniel in. No one is beyond God's kindness. God can graft in the natural branches. He can graft in wild branches. What incredible kindness God shows. Let's pray that God would help us to grow humble hearts, standing in awe of both his kindness and mercy. Let's pray. Loving God, please help us to walk in humility. Forgive us for the times when we are arrogant or superior towards others because uh, we think somehow we're better than them. Rather, Lord, we, we look to what Jesus has done for us and recognise that it's all by your grace. It's all your kindness to us. And so we thank you deeply for your kindness And we ask that you would help us to stand in awe, aware both of your sternness, if we're arrogant, and yet your never-ending kindness and mercy as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're about to have a chance to sing, and as we do so, to continue to reflect before God as well. Please stand as we sing.